Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 9 of Oral Presentations. Episode 9, Marsupials. What's going on with that pouch? <laughs> oh fuck. There, uh, there is a lot more people listening to this right now. And uh, I already had this topic picked before I went on Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast. I didn't know... What was going to go on? And it's like, dude, I'm not going to abandon ship on a topic I already had just because more people are listening now. Episode 9, dude. Marsupials. What's going on with that pouch? <laughs> what this will, what this episode actually is, uh, that was the original question I had to look into. But what it turned into is it's going to be an evolutionary history of the fauna of the nation and continent of Australia. Um, I picked this topic... Because I, I mean, I had heard like two weeks ago that, that whole fucking country's on fire. Um, and I don't really know how they're doing. I don't know. I realized that I don't know. I, I just have no idea. Like, um, a dude from New Zealand messaged me and was like, hey, it said a bunch of nice shit. And I was like, yeah, the next one's about like your hemisphere, dude. Uh, heads up. So he messaged me. And dude in New Zealand, like the American news cycle... Like it was, it's big for like a week. If it's like a trap, I haven't heard shit about if Australia is still on fire or not. I don't know. I also don't know how Puerto Rico's doing. I remember they lost electric like a year ago, and you just stop hearing about that. So I was kind of embarrassed. I don't know. I don't know how on fire your country is, but I hear it's bad, right? And so, as kind of a tip of the cap to what you're dealing with down there, I was like, "Yo, marsupials, what's going on in that pouch?" <laughs> Uh, it turns out, uh, when I looked into it, Australia is definitely still on fire. Yep. Uh, 28 people are dead and half a billion animals. Um, apparently like you're all, you guys are already in fire season, uh, which means there's drought. Uh, but I, I, I saw that you guys are having trouble with stronger winds than normal. So the fires are spread and it just sounds like a real fucking mess down there. So I already wanted to look into it. So. And actually, let me. Uh, this also ties in. I referenced Patrice O'Neill on the last uh, episode, and uh, I'll do it again on this episode because it fits the reason why I picked it. So, on Patrice O'Neill's album "Mr. P," the second track is called "Can't Care," and if you haven't heard it, definitely check that out. But it's my favorite track off that album, and I've actually played this to like girls that ask me, like if I was like dating somebody, and they're like, "What, like, what do you think is a good stand-up?" I've played them this exact bit, and I, I'm not going to do it on here, but the the premise of the bit is that like it's just it's just hard to give a fuck about something that's on the other side of the world, you know? And uh and that's exactly how I felt. So I was like, fuck it, dude. Episode nine, marsupials, what's going on in that pouch? So yeah, let me say hi to the new listeners from Matt and Shane or wherever you guys came from. What's up? Um I'm not gonna change anything. I mean, I'm just gonna keep doing this. It's my only plan is just keep doing electronic book reports and looking into shit and see how it goes. So that's what we're doing. The whole point of this is, I don't know, like when I worked in Clifton Heights or whatever, because this is like people have messaged me and be like, I listen to this at work and it's nice. Thank you. And so like that gets me fired up because when I worked in Clifton Heights, one of the things I like to do, because I wasn't like the best guy at actually like working on cars, like I had to struggle to like I was learning. But what I like to do is that, like, if somebody in the shop was, like, having a bad day, like, I remember this one time, Keith, and I'm not shitting on Keith, dude, he has, this dude, Keith, had 
maybe the best craft brain I've ever encountered. Like it's a type of intelligence. I don't know what you actually call it, but these type of dudes, they all have similar stories of like when I was little, I just took apart doorknobs. I've always been taking apart shit my whole life. Like he had, he has one of those brains. And also I don't have one of those. <laughs> like whenever they would tell stories like that, like my, my version of that story is like, no, nah, I used to like dig holes and put a hose in it and then stir it with a stick. I'd be like, anybody want some stews? I'm making a potion. <laughs> I have no stories of taking apart mechanical things and reassembling them. But I remember one day he was having a hard time. I don't not having a hard time, but like a job was just beating him up. It was like an Alfa Romeo, which is like a, a fucking Italian car that, there's like there's probably like three of them in Philadelphia. So Keith was working on the one of them, and like the taillight pocket was all fucking crushed in the back body. The quarter pound had to get replaced. It was like a fucking nightmare of a job. But I remember, I like saw that. I saw that he was just kind of working on it, and the headphones in and stuff. And then I thought like, yo, I'm gonna finish what I'm doing. I'm gonna go over and just kind of talk shit with him a little bit if he's having a hard time. So I remember I went over to him and I talked to him about octopus intelligence because I remember I saw this thing about how. Like, they gauge octopus intelligence by having an octopus in a tank, and then they'll get live crabs, and they'll put a live crab in, like, a jar, and then they'll put a, a cork on top of it and just chuck that fucking jar in there with that octopus and then start a stopwatch and see how long it takes for that octopus to murder and eat that crab. I remember just telling him about that, and he was, like, laughing. I told him I felt bad for the crabs because, like, all the crabs can see what the fuck's happening? Like, the, oh, their buddy gets pulled out and put in the octopus death chamber. I felt bad about it. But anyway, so, like, just little shit like that. And he was, like, laughing. Day went on. Like, that's... I don't know. The, the, this podcast is supposed to kind of just be like that. Where it's like, hey, here's some interesting shit. You know? If you like it, cool. If not, I, I totally understand, man. But, I don't know. Just getting messages from people that are like, yo, I listen to this at jo my job. One dude was, like, working overnights. He said he listened to Magneto Gorse one. He liked it. Like, that kind of stuff's awesome. So that's what we're doing. So if you're a new listener, welcome. This is episode nine, Marsupials. What's going on with that pouch? So to get to Marsupials, we got to start way fucking back. We got to start way, way, way back. All right, so when uh, we got to start back when the Earth was made. All right, so the inside of the Earth is magma. It's the shit that comes out of volcanoes. Although I also learned that we don't really know exactly what the middle of the earth is. Like, the more I look into stuff, the more that, like, there's big holes in what humans actually know. Like, we can guess at, like, what the center of the earth is, but people are, like, this is probably what it is, but it also, mm, I don't know. All right, so the center of the earth shoots fucking molten rock out of cracks in the earth, and then that goes into the ocean, and that starts to build upon itself, and that's how land masses are formed, right? So at the beginning of time, or beginning of the Earth or whatever, so they're shooting magma out of the fucking middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and eventually all that magma dries up, and it turns into a giant landmass called Pangea. This is where the current Earth map, how shit spread out. Like, the if you look at it, look like the board from Risk, the board game Risk, right? What it looks like. That shit all used to be sucked together, and they call that Pangea, right? Also, sidebar here, if you are a religious person who's into like 6,000 years ago, and then the earth has always looked like that, I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong or whatever. I just, this is the research and science-based evidence about the evolutionary history of the fauna of Australia, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to fucking say anything about that. I actually ran into that. I was asking somebody about, no, I was just kind of talking to a buddy about this, and uh, 
I don't know. He wasn't jazzed on it. I didn't know why. And then I found out that, like, oh, he's, like, he has beliefs like that. So I'm not trying to hurt anybody's fucking feelings here. But we're just going with the science-based evidence of the evolutionary history of the fauna of Australia. All right? So we're at Pangea. One big fucking landmass. All the animals are on that shit, right? So that starts to break apart. Now, before it starts breaking apart, marsupials are chilling in South America. The South American region, right? But it's also connected to Antarctica, right? And so what happens as Pangea starts to break apart, marsupials Oregon trail it from South America. They go to Antarctica and then they run that and then they end up on a peninsula that would eventually break off of Antarctica and become Australia, right? So that's how marsupials ended up getting onto Australia, the reason that's important is because marsupials are one of three types of mammals evolutionarily. So mammals split off into like Neptune's trident. You got three different forks here, right? So the top part of the fork are egg-laying mammals. They're not a whole lot of these. They're not very successful. They're doing their best, right? The middle fork, yeah, that's us, is the placental mammals. These are, and look, I'm not talking shit here or anything, but for sure the best mammals, Right, we got the blue whale, got the fucking giraffe, humans, dude. I don't see, you know, I don't see an egg laying mammal building cities. You know, what I'm saying I'm not trying to talk shit, but placental mammals turned out to be where it's at. All right, and then the bottom fork is marsupials. Now, uh, and because marsupials have a different reproduct, it's it's based by reproductive, uh, I guess, style. So top is egg laying mammals. We are placental mammals because the baby inside placenta and then marsupials are, they got the pouch going on. So their reproductive system is different. And then their young hangs out in their pouch for a while. That's what separates them evolutionarily. And that's why we categorize them differently. So why was doing that Oregon trail trip important when they ended up in Australia? It's super fucking important because as Pangea breaks apart and Australia migrates away from Antarctica, marsupials get to hang out in Australia and there's not a whole lot of placental mammals on Australia, dude. So when it breaks apart from Antarctica, not only do those marsupials make a great choice at deciding to go on that part and not stay on Antarctica. Cause I mean, in retrospect, it would have sucked to stay on Antarctica. Dude. That place gets cold. It fucking sucks. So they pick up, they pick an island that's drifting away, and there's no placental mammals on there. So they they actually have like a haven of isolation to be able to evolve into whatever weird shit they're going to become, which is why Australia has so many crazy fucking weird weird animals, dude. It's fucking party time for marsupials when when Australia breaks away from Antarctica. There's no, they're the top of the heap. Now there are egg laying mammals on Australia at the same time, like the platypus and the echidna. But, but marsupials pretty much got them beat. You know, that egg-laying mammals kind of the lowest level. Marsupials, like the bee squad. And then placental mammals, that's us. A-team. Not talking shit. Just is what it is, dude. Do, we just do the job better than the other ones. It is what it is. But Australia is party time, isolation, marsupial time. What's up? I don't even know what we're going to turn into. Let's go. All right. So with isolation can come unique adaptation. And that's how Australia starts to get these weird fucking animals because there's nowhere else that there's a huge continent where marsupials without placental mammals can develop into whatever they truly desire in their hearts and souls. 
So, and it's not just like adaptation. Okay, so there's two types. There's behavioral isolation and mechanical isolation. Uh, I'm sorry, somebody just drove past outside. All right, so we're talking the the space-time we're dealing with here is 30, 40 million years ago, by the way. That's when Australia breaks off from Antarctica, and that's when marsupials get started hanging out alone. We already covered, oh, the egg-laying mammals are known as monotrims. That's the echidna and the platypus. There were other animals on Australia that weren't mammals that came with them for the ride. We're dealing with, like, cassowaries, um, other type of bird species, but nothing that would directly compete with the same kind of needs that marsupials would, would desire to increase their population and evolve in certain ways. So we're looking at the neogene period right now, which is, like... To like 23 million years ago to 2.6 million years ago. That's when Australia has broken off of Antarctica, and this is when uh, it is covered in rainforest. It's a period of time known as the Green Cradle because, you know, without placental mammals to bully them around, they have open range to rainforest. They can, they can evolve however they'd like. So what happens here, uh, two things. The first one is called adaptive radiation. So most of the marsupials that were on Australia at the time were like small little possum creatures, you know, but the way that they started to change and change in different directions, and then that would continue to change in even more strange and obscure different directions is because they would, the food sources and how they lived were different. So that you have some possums that would just eat grass. And then by eating grass, they would turn into herbivores and adapt certain traits to go that way and continue to get strange as fuck going that way. Right, And then you had other ones that would just eat fruit, and then they would just eat fruit and they become whatever that makes you into. Or you had some possums who ate bugs and other possums, which <laughs> were the fucking psychos of the possum kingdom. <laughs> that made me laugh when I thought about it because there had to be like a first possum who was like, I'm going to eat Mike, dude. Fuck this. <laughs> which is crazy. If you're that third possum watching... Another possum, eat another possum. You're like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? But then he looks up with like a, with like a face and he's like, yo, I'm either, like, either you and me go eat Larry or fucking I'm going to eat you. It's like, yeah, I'm all right, dude, I'm coming with. I can't wait to eat Larry. <laughs> fuck that. That made me laugh that like there had to be a possum that first made the choice of like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat Mike, dude. How about that? Oh, so that's adaptive radiation. The way I thought of that when I learned it. Is that like, uh, like I grew up when Pokemon was like really big. So in the original Pokemon Game Boy, you could get this Pokemon called Eevee. I think this was it. Don't, don't correct me on Pokemon knowledge. I'm not going to respect it if you're like, actually it was called something. All right, dude. So there was a Pokemon, it was like a Fox Pokemon. And then you could give it one of like a couple different, like, st like soul stones, I think they were called or some sort of stone. And then it would evolve it. Like if you gave it the lightning stone, it turned into a lightning Pokemon or ice stone, ice Pokemon, fire, fire, right? So that's how you can think of adaptive radiation. But instead of Pokemon stones, it's what they choose to eat. So fruit, grass, psychos eat each other. You just become different types of Pokemon. All right, so that's adaptive radiation. Second thing that happened is called convergent evolution. Now, this is interesting to me. So this... This is animals learning how to solve if they all have the same problem and they're different types of animals, right? So like birds and bats both need to be able to fly and fly over shit, fly into shit, deal with the wind, stuff like that. 
So they're totally different animals, but because they're looking to solve the same problem, they'll learn from each other how to solve that problem in the most efficient way. And in doing so, that's convergent evolution because it has nothing to do with like breeding or uh, like the evolutionary change, but it's, it has to do with like, yo, we're hanging out together. We got to solve a similar problem here. Oh, I can learn from you. You can learn from me. Okay. And then we'll both move forward as a more efficient animal, even though, you know, we don't like fuck or anything. We just kind of hang out and see each other. It's nice to be able to learn from one another. And an example of this that I, I thought of when I, I learned about it is that like, if you look back at the beginning of mixed martial arts and like the UFC, like the early VHS tapes, I remember I used to rent them in high school and we would just watch them and just not believe how fucking crazy it was. Cause they would have like a straight up boxer, like a dude with like Art Jimerson fucking fought with one boxing glove on his fucking hand. Like you, you could just do, you could bring whatever style you thought was best to be able to fuck another dude up and win based upon the rules. Let's go, dude. Let's see it. So you'd have a boxer versus like a sumo guy versus like an Eastern European kickboxer who's wearing like super tight trunks and nobody really knows why. He doesn't even speak English. All those dudes would fucking fight each other using different styles. And then we'd see which one's the best. And then as mixed martial arts has progressed on and the UFC has progressed on, like that has been, there has been convergent evolution of fighting style because they take the best shit from each martial art and it's like all right jiu-jitsu awesome ground game uh you know western wrestling for takedowns you know boxing for like a jab and then muay thai for clinch work like they take all the things so if you watch the ufc now like it's hard to see a dude who's just really fucking good at only one thing and then sucks at something else like there's been convergent evolution in that sport over the last like i don't know 20 30 years or whatever just like massive convergent evolution to create new fighting styles. And then, I mean, even today it's still evolving to be able to see like, all right, well now what's the most efficient way to like hit on the break? Like, all right, well let's start fucking around with reset time. After somebody throws a punch, how long does that take to, to reset? How do we tool that? Like it's getting more and more intricate, which is why I enjoy the sport for one, for one reason. You know, I, I do enjoy that sport. All right. So we're still on the Neo gene period, Right. Problem is, rainforests receding. Australia is drifting farther and farther away from Antarctica, and it's getting closer and closer to the equator, so shit's starting to dry out a little bit. Rainforests are gone, but it's not desert. What it turns into is lush grassland, and this allows for yet another layer of bizarre evolution on top of it, because marsupials are still alone, dude. Still alone, no placental mammals. We've already gone through the green cradle, now we're going into this grassland period. We're still just alone chilling. Let's see what the fuck we get, dude. So the next level of evolution, 15 million years ago, allows for, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the kangaroo, baby. 15 million years ago, kangaroo, dude. Fat butt, flat gut. Kangaroo's got some haunches on him. It's a kangaroo. Breaks onto the scene, right? And so when I, when I found this out, I was like, dude, I got to find out how the fuck did they... That's such a strange animal. What is going on here? So the way a kangaroo, the jump off point, the fossil that they found, it's like the missing link between like where the possum start jumping around and then eventually turn into a kangaroo. How the fuck do you even, how'd you get there, man? Right. So they found an ankle bone of a possum. And the reason this bone is important is because the function of this small bone that they found in this possum is that what it would do is lock the possum's ankle so that it was free to spring 
and like generate much more force through its legs and a jumping motion than somebody who has like a loose ankle, like an animal with a loose ankle. Like if you're listening to this, you are a human, right? So like take your right leg right now and then move your ankle around, wiggle your foot around a little bit. You see how you get like almost 360 on our ankles, right? That's human ankles. Kangaroos can't do that shit. Kangaroos ankles lock because of that initial adaptation of the ankle bone. They can lock, but that's why they can fucking haul ass, dude. They kangaroos go fast as fuck, dude. They jump. Uh, I I love kangaroos, but they say it's the most efficient type of locomotion that uh, mammals may have ever developed because of the adaptation of the ankle and being able to put up with the stressors of what that would do. Like hum, humans can't do that because our ankles would would break. It's just too much force. We're just not built for it. But don't feel bad if you're out there feeling like you have worse ankles than a kangaroo right now because kangaroos can't go side to side, dude. You would fuck a kangaroo up in tennis, dude. They got no lateral motion. Uh-uh. Nothing. So, I mean, they're cool. They're different. But, I'm, you know, I'm not going to stick up for humans here. It's just apples and oranges, you know? Anyway, so that's kangaroos, man. How cool is that? So, after the neogene, we're going to go into the quarterly pe- or the quaternary period. Right? And this is 2.6 million years ago until today, the quaternary period. And uh, when they, when I was watching this thing and they introduced the quaternary period, they played like Gerard Butler action movie music. <laughs> like it had been chill the whole time. And then it was like the quaternary period. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, fuck, what, North Korea going to take over the White House, dude? Calm the fuck down. We're still just talking about animals. Right, but apparently that's when I knew that like oh we're about to get rough and tumble, dude. Here we go. Alright, so Australia continues to change. So it was grassland, but it's still migrating close to the equator, and this is where the arid desert comes in. This is where what current Australia looks like kind of starts to happen because the grasses are going away. And so and I didn't really even know if somebody asked me like what is what does Australia look like? I would have just said that most of the people live on the coast. And then hope they don't ask me a follow-up question because I don't really fucking know. But, so if you would like to know, if anybody ever asked you that, uh, the interior part is like an arid desert, but there are patches of grassland and some like tropical areas too. It's it's a strange country, man, but a lot of it is desert. But there are patches of uh, like rainforest and stuff that are still kind of left over. But those are small patches and they're usually in like caverns are protected by rocks they're they're not most of it's desert it's not really easy living uh, a little bit of grass left too though all right so how how do we all know this how how does all this shit where do we find these fossils what's going on right and so that brings us to archaeologists have gotten a lot of this information out of a place called the Naracourt Caves which is in southern Australia okay now, the Naracourt Caves, and this made, this made me laugh, the Naracourt Caves are a cave system, and some of them are underground, and some of them have openings that you can see that, like, oh, that leads down into a cave. That, that's nice. And some of them are caves with a thin layer of earth on top of them that you can fall through. And it's always been like this. Now, as the geography changed, you know, it's, uh, sometimes caves covered up, sometimes they got revealed. But the reason there's so many fossils on these caves is that, so, throughout the history of Australia, because the caves shifted and stuff, animals would just run over this part of Australia. Like, you'd have kangaroos hopping around, 
you know, and then all of a sudden they would hit one of these weak points of earth above one of the Narakov caves and just fucking fall through. And it's not funny. It's a very sad thing when a kangaroo dies. But if you, if you can picture it, like a kangaroo is hauling ass and then just go like it looks like a trap door into a cave, falls, dies. Very sad. Uh, but as time passes, that cave gets covered up, the body's preserved, and then a number of skeletons can be can be found and traced back and carbon dated to get a more accurate picture of the Australian record of fauna and fossil history. I would like to add here that uh, it wasn't just like regular kangaroos dropping through these holes. Because <laughs> we were in a period of time in Australia that's known as megafauna. <laughs> megafauna dude what that translates into is giant animals okay now the reason this happened there's no placental mammals so marsupials are wilding out with their fucking evolution they're getting big as shit there's food sources there's water there's a lot of carbon in the air dude at marsupials are getting big as fuck all right so a couple examples of this i don't know if this is my favorite or not but i really like this guy his name was diprotodon all right now what this was Okay, so picture a rhinoceros. It's big as shit, right? Get the horn off that thing. Make it like 50% cuter and then put fur on top of it and make it the size of a Dodge Durango. It's a huge Dodge Durango furry thing that looks... If you look up a picture of Diprotodon, dude, the first time I saw it, I was like, man, it would be so fun to put that thing in a headlock and fucking wrestle with it. It looks so friendly. (laughs) It's like a giant... They, they say it's like a giant wombat, but the thing was like the size of a fucking Durango. Just hanging out, right? All right, so you have the Diprotodon, personal fave. And actually, the Diprotodon was so crazy looking that uh, when aboriginals would discover Diprotodon bones, when humans would, would go on, they we'll get there, but humans end up walking down from Indonesia so and becoming the aboriginal tribes of Australia. So when they come down, they would find Diprotodon skulls, and they would just be like, what the fuck is it? They made up like an urban legend called the Bunya, which is like a fucking, it's like the Jersey Devil of Australian Outback, the Bunya, because they would find these bones and be like, what the fuck is this thing, dude? Jesus Christ. All right, so that's Diprotodon. You also have, oh, when I said there's not regular kangaroos falling into these holes, uh, the name of this one is Protoctodon Goliath, which is huge fucking kangaroo. That's what that train is. Huge kangaroo. Massive. So big that they, like, scientists aren't sure whether or not this thing hopped. They know that it has the ankle adaptation. They know that it has, and they know that it's big as shit. But the problem is there's no way to tell how strong the tendons of one of these things were. So these kangaroos may have gotten so fucking big that they just can't hop. So they're like walking fast and hopping every now and then. These things are the things that are falling into that fucking hole. Also, diprotodons would fall into that hole, which is hilarious to see a giant Dodge Durango bear. Just be like, hey, what's up? Oh, fuck. And just fall into a hole. It's not, it's not funny that animals die, but it is a funny, a funny way. Like... I don't want to say I feel bad for laughing at, but what I'm saying is that, like, if I die and then, like, biblical heaven's real and then you can watch instant replay in a wishing well, I am definitely going to try to get a couple friends around that wishing well and then fire up this time in Australian history and just watch 
diprotodon fail videos falling through holes. And I don't know if that makes me a good or a bad person or not, but I'm just saying it would be really funny. Most impressive giant megafauna marsupial, in my opinion, is called the Thalacaleo. And what this is, is a marsupial lion. Dude, marsupials had a lion. Like, if, they, if marsupials knew about their history, they would be, about their lineage, they'd be so embarrassed that they're, that they're what they are now. Because, dude, you had kind of like, I don't know what it's like to be Egyptian these days, but if I was modern-day Egyptian, I'd kind of feel bad like I could never live up to what we used to be. You know, or like, I've never, I don't know Macaulay Culkin, but I feel like that guy probably had a burden of like, ah, oh, fuck, dude, I got like super popular when I was a kid. And now it's like, like, I'm not living a bad life. I'm really happy, even if I'm happy with my life, but it's still like, damn, that's, it's a weird contrast, you know, same kind of thing. But anyway, marsupial lion. This thing was awesome. All right. It is, it is big as shit. Okay. But technically it's not a lion. It's not a cat. Technically it's a, it's like a wombat lion. It is a big cat, but it's not a lion. It's like a huge fucking wombat. Okay, so it had, it had like a face, like a re- like I don't know. When they were describing it, I don't really know what a wombat looks like, to be honest with you. I, I mean, it looks like a small bear that's kind of cute, and it's like a little pudgy. Wombats are super cute. But so like, okay, so the wombat lion had two front teeth, like a like a rat has. You know what I'm saying? And then it had fangs, and then it had these. These molars that I've never seen before, it, they were like long teeth that ran along the jawline. Like if you, uh, do you remember like Master Shredder's helmet from Ninja Turtles? So when you put that on and he has the metal, the metal sideburns of that helmet, just make those into like inside this thing's mouth and then sharpen them up. They were big, long molars. This thing was so fucking vicious. It would, it would like, it could either grab you and kill you or it could like just bite you. And using those molars, dude, it would just sever a limb. Dude, those molars are made for severing meat. But that's not as crazy as they got, dude. Marsupial lions are known as the only big cats ever to have a hunting style where, listen to this shit, they would grab you with their fucking face, right? And also, they did like a strength-to-weight ratio. They think this might have been like one of the strongest bites of all, mars- of all mammals of all time. This thing was fucking strong. It would grab you with its face and then it would use its its fucking hands. It would use its arms to throw hooks to your body to kill you. Everything, all other big cats just use their face to fucking eat you, and then they'll hold you down with their arms. This thing would grab you and just start throwing hooks, dude. Just ripping you. They, it was like a Mortal Kombat fatality. They were killing people like Goro. They were killing those giant Dodge Durango wombats like Goro, <laughs> like Goro dude. It looked like the the bonus level from Street Fighter where you had to beat the fucking shit out of a car. It's just E-Honda like, just fucking, when I found that out, I was like, damn, dude, how did these things go extinct? Fuck, these things are awesome. All right, so we'll get, we're kind of at how these things go extinct, right? So I mentioned earlier, people show up and this is 50 to 60,000 years ago. Uh, These people would become the aboriginals of Australia and, um, most scientists speculate that they came from Indonesia. Some people say they came uh, from like India by boat. I mean, but uh, more than one source is like, nah, Indonesia, walked down, hung out. This is where they come from, right? So first people show up. Now, keep in mind like what I just said. If you're one of these first people that show up, dude, that's the world you show up in. There are 
huge fucking animals that pretty much look like monsters that you've never fucking seen before. Like, if you ever played Super Mario, you know, like, Little Big World, where, like, the the Koopas are huge, <laughs> and you're like, this is fucking crazy, the coins are big. Dude, these abri- these people who would come become the Aboriginal, they show up, and they're in Little Big World from Super Mario, dude. That fucking marsupial lion's out there, you got that Diprotodon, that thing is huge, it's way bigger than a Dodge Neon. Huge animals, right? So also, there's like big ass Komodo dragons that are way bigger than they are now. Fucking crazy! That, that, that marsupial lions. Like, can you imagine being one of these first people, and then you see one of those marsupial lions kill one of those diprotodon, like Jax from Mortal Kombat, just fucking holding and punching the shit out. Holy fuck! So they show up, and um, I mean, scientists are kind of torn on on how this went. Because Aboriginal culture uh, is very much like uh, harmonious, like you live with the land, you know, you use it for what you use it for, but you know, you live with animals and stuff. Um, but uh, so some people think that the marsupial lion went extinct because humans showed up and hunted it to death, and that's that's how they also speculate that maybe the iprotodon went out like that because. And the reason this could have happened, even though the marsupial lion's big as shit and diprotodon, dude, good luck killing that thing. It's so fucking big. The thing is, they never had those animals and these giant awesome marsupials from Little Big World. They've never encountered humans before. And this isn't the only instance of this happening. A similar thing also happened on the Galapagos Islands. So when these giant marsupials encounter people for the first time, they don't know how to treat them. They don't know. This is just like it's just like meeting a new kind of bird. So they don't. They're not scared or anything. They're just coming up to people like, "Yo, what's up? You guys trying to hang out?" <laughs> and people are like, "I bet this thing's fucking delicious." Just starts killing them, just fucking murdering them. And also that uh, this is also uh, this is when uh, humans would use fire to they would like light a forest on fire to smoke out the animals, and then when they would come out, it's just fucking let the bodies hit the floor. These things don't even know to be scared of us. What are you talking about? So people don't know if they were hunted to extinction by aboriginals or if a second ice age fucked them up. Because the problem was they were such big animals. Like that marsupial lion's awesome, but it's pretty much only adapted to kill diprotodons, dude. It only knows how to fuck up a Dodge Durango. It's not very good at hunting smaller games. So as the climate changes and food sources become more and more scarce, the marsupial lion, even though it's maybe the most awesome animal I've ever heard of, it's not equipped to be able to deal with these kind of problems and therefore may have went extinct or it may have gotten hunted to death by aboriginals because it didn't know to be scared of people. It didn't know we were going to try to eat it. Anyway, so that's, uh, is that it for us? Yeah. I mean, that's the evolutionary history. That's megafauna. Uh, there was an ice age. Yeah. So all the giant animals died out. Uh, aboriginals came down from Indonesia. Um, there were, we will hit on this real quick. The introduction of Europeans into Australia, because it made me laugh when I learned about it. So uh, there was before, I mean, technically James Cook in 1770 landed on Lizard Island, but we'll get there in a second. Before that happened in the 1600s, a Dutch like wooden boat ship called the Batava, right? For, it was working for the Dutch East India Company. So what they were trying to do is go to the Indies for the spice trade, right? And uh, so the island of the like Indonesia and the Indies uh, is located. If you're looking at a world map, it's above Australia, like not close, not at Thailand, but below Thailand, above Australia with the Spice Islands that the Dutch East India Company would send dudes to go. We're going to trade some shit. Come on back. Right. 
So this Dutch East India Company ship, the Batava, somebody fucked up. They just didn't make a left, dude. They forgot to hook it at the end, and they just slam into the western coast of Australia. Now, they didn't, they didn't settle, and like people died, and they ended up murdering and eating each other. But that was, I mean, people say that that's technically the first time that Europeans hit Australia. But the actual like founding and introduction of Europeans to Australia, as I mentioned earlier, was in 1770. A sailor named James Cook um, f- uh, stopped at Lizard Island, which is so the Dutch East India Company guys fucked up and ran into Australia on the on the western side, on the left side. If you're looking at a map of the board game risk, but this dude James Cook came the other way. So if you're looking at Australia like it's the face of a clock. James Cook landed in Australia right around like two o'clock, right? He was like, what the fuck is this, dude? We are lost. What is going on here? James Cook lands in Australia on Lizard Island, and he's fucking worried because he doesn't know why his ship's trapped. So he climbs up to the top of Lizard Island, and then he looks down, and what James Cook discovers is that he is trapped in what would later become known as the Great Barrier Reef. His ship is in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef. And if you don't know what the Great Barrier Reef is, it's a series of reefs. I didn't know either. Don't feel bad about it. I had to look this up. I was actually pretty psyched to be able to put this at the end because I feel like people do mention the Great Barrier Reef, but I don't know what the fuck that is. So I was happy to be able to learn about it. So the Great Barrier Reef is a reef system that as the water levels have gone up and down throughout history in the ice ages uh, have either been exposed or completely submerged or half and half. So when James Cook found it, it was in one of those half and half times that it's kind of in now where he would have to drive his ship around it. He's kind of caught in like a cornfield maze at this point. So that's what the Great Barrier Reef is. Uh, So he discovers that. And the Great Barrier Reef, as a side note, if you want some GBR knowledge, um, the same way I described Australia as a clock. And so James Cook landed right around 2 o'clock. So that whole... That whole coast, like the Great Barrier Reef is fucking huge. It's 1,400 miles. It's like the span of, again, if we're looking at a face of a clock of Australia, it's a span of about like 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock or even like 1230 to 3 o'clock. Like a quarter of that country that's also a continent, that's how big the Great Barrier Reef is, which I thought was really cool. And I think that's a nice way to end this episode. This has been, uh, this has been Oral Presentations Episode 9. If you're a new listener, I hope you were into it. I hope you learned something. I was big into Diprotodon. I love that. Um, And also, you learned about the place that's on fire. That place is still on fire, and I do feel bad about it. So learn about these animals and how many of them are dying down there. When I post this uh, and then I post um, on Instagram, it's oral underscore presentations underscore pod is the Instagram for this podcast. I'm also going to leave a link because I took a minute to – because here's the thing about charities – Like, I don't trust them at all, and I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think this is crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy theory shit. I just – I understand that, like, a lot of charities, a lot of the money you give to them go to overhead and pay for, like, secretaries – not even secretaries. Just, like, the guys in charge are paying themselves half a million dollars a fucking year when, like, that money's supposed to go to, like, cystic fibrosis or fucking breast cancer. Like, dude, why are you making a – like, why are you making half a million dollars a fucking year? So I went and I looked, like, is there a way to, like – more directly donate money to the people who are actually helping fight these fires. So I found, uh, you know, I found a way to, uh, to like, as if I was Australian. So it's through an Australian government website. I was like, yo, if I lived in Australia where this shit was going on, how would I just give money to the fire department? So I found a way 
to support the local fire brigade of New South Wales. You, you have to go through like an Australian government website, but there's a way to donate directly to like that fire brigade, which is sick, which, I, which I'm happy with. I don't think there's a whole lot of overhead there and I'll take a risk on it anyway. So I'm going to, when I post this on Instagram and, um, this podcast goes up, I'll also have a link to a way to donate and you know, throw a buck to the new South Wales dudes. I mean, I, I hope it actually goes like the fire department, dude. And then I got to fucking, they got to deal with that shit. Good luck, man. But anyway, so that's the history of, um, the evolutionary history of the fauna of Australia. Best I could figure, uh, AKA marsupials. What's going on with that pouch? Thanks for listening a bunch. And, um, I think I'm going to do another one, uh, this week. Uh, but if not, uh, and things happen, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening. See you.